Hi, I'm Gary and this is episode 122 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today we'll be looking at the basics of EV ownership for newbies. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to remind you to check through the back catalogue of episodes if there's something specific that you want to know about. Cables, charge costs, specific EV models, hubs, charge point operators, batteries, whatever. There's probably something there for you to listen to. Our main topic of discussion today is EVs 101, in which we look at and discuss the basics of EV ownership. I'm sure many listeners have seen the classic 1980s film Karate Kid, starring Ralph Macchio as Daniel, the young boy wanting to be a karate expert, and Pat Morita as Mr Miyagi, the quiet and unassuming older sensei with unconventional teaching methods. One of the most famous scenes is where Mr Miyagi gets Daniel to wash his car by extolling him to wax on and wax off. Daniel can't understand why doing repetitive motions with one hand and then the other would be in any way useful to teaching him how to master the complex art of karate. But we learn a little later on that the muscle memory developed through this exercise is precisely the one needed to deflect an opponent's blow in the ring. In other words, Mr Miyagi was teaching Daniel one thing by disguising it as another. But the underlying lesson that comes from this scene is that sometimes things are not as obvious and straightforward as you might think. If you have one mindset going into something, anything which deviates from that can be thought to be wrong or bad. And it's pretty much the same with electric vehicles, especially if you're coming from petrol or diesel, as most of you will be. I mean, sure, the cars look more or less the same, especially if you're driving something like an electric Mini or an MG EV, which are based on the same chassis as the internal combustion engine equivalent. But there's a different mindset needed to own an electric vehicle. Once you understand and learn this, you'll be driving them just as easily as you did your old internal combustion engine car. But the transition isn't always smooth and straightforward. Sometimes it's fun. Not having to wait at petrol stations and pumping expensive, dangerous fossil fuel into your vehicle is good, as is not having to pay vehicle excise duty, congestion charges and ultra-low-emission zone fees in the United Kingdom. Today, we'll look at a few of the roadblocks associated with this transition in an episode I like to call EVs 101 – The Basics. The first thing to say about EVs is, surprisingly, they're not fossil fuel cars. They need to be approached differently, they, need to, they drive differently, they accelerate differently, they brake differently, and they refuel differently. Not radically differently, apart from the charging obviously, but enough to understand that even though it looks like your basic Mini, the electric Mini is not a car, it's a computerised battery on wheels. Same with the MG, the Kia Soul, the ID3, the Tesla, and every electric vehicle on the road, car, bike or van. So don't let the outward appearance fool you. The first difference can often come when you sit behind the wheel. In many cases, there isn't a key to start the engine. Most EVs have a button, but some of them, like the Teslas in the VW ID range, automatically switch on once you climb into the car. That means you don't have to worry about starting them. Just select drive and go. On the subject of selecting drive, another thing to consider is that many of them don't actually have a gear lever. For some, such as the Tesla and the Mercedes, the drive motor is engaged by pushing down on the stalk behind the wheel. For the BMW i3 and the VW ID range, the drive selector is attached to the instrument binnacle slash steering wheel, and it's twisted to engage the drive motor. For many other EVs, the drive selector is between the seats. It might be a button or a dial or a snazzy looking switch, but it won't generally be a gear stick. Sidebar, 
If it does have a gear lever, such as in my 30 kilowatt hour Kia Soul, it's usually because it's a fossil fuel car that's been modified to be electric. Uh, but this is an exception, not a rule. So now you're in your EV, you're switched on and ready to go. Select the drive button or lever or toggle and slowly press your foot on the accelerator. The first thing you'll notice is that it's quiet, very quiet, but it's also quick. Because you're not waiting for the power in the engine to build up, the motor is turning as fast as it can right from the initial moment you touch the accelerator. So the pull, the acceleration on EVs is phenomenal. If you want to find out how phenomenal, click the link in the show notes to see videos of people having a launch in a Tesla Model S with Ludicrous or Plaid mode in enabled. Your EV probably isn't that quick. There's not many two-ton cars can do 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds, but it's still impressively fast. Even the lower power motors, like the one in my Kia Soul, will beat most things from the lights to 30 miles an hour. The other thing that electric cars do that fossil fuel ones don't is regen, and we'll come back to regen in a minute or so. Now, the big issue that everyone will talk about when you come to an electric car is the battery. At its most basic, it's the big lump of metal sitting underneath your car, which moves the whole thing along. The good news is that it's one of those things that you don't really need to worry about in terms of your actual knowledge of the car. Sure, you need to understand that there is a battery, and sure, you need to understand that at some point you'll need to add more electricity in the, into the battery to keep you moving, but you don't need a complex understanding of battery electrochemistry inverters and the machinations of AC versus DC current. There are, however, two things that EV drivers do need to know about when it comes to the battery. The first thing is that it's a heavy piece of kit and it will, over time, degrade. You've seen your phone battery gradually get less and less powerful. When you first bought it, the battery lasted a day, maybe two. Now, a couple of years later, you need to do an additional charge in the middle of the day, and that's because the battery is degraded. But your EV battery is different. I mean, yes, it will degrade over time, but it isn't the same as the battery in a phone. It has, generally, several different levels of management processes that help prolong the life of the battery. For a start, it will have a battery management system, a BMS. This helps to control the charging of the battery itself. It manages what's called the charge curve, which means that the battery never receives more charge than it can handle. It slows down the charging when the battery reaches 80% to allow the last 20% to be done without damaging the cells. It balances the cells to ensure a consistent power delivery. It also ensures that the upper and lower buffers are managed appropriately, so that if you do run out of charge, your battery isn't damaged irreparably. Alongside this, your battery will usually have an active battery cooling system, this controls how hot the battery can get during the charging process. It's well known that batteries charge a lot quicker at higher temperatures. However, that temperature will need to be dissipated as quickly as possible to minimize damage to the unit itself. So in order to do that, the cooling system will control fans and in some vehicles, liquid cooling to dissipate that heat as quickly as it can. And because your phone doesn't have this management, it will degrade a lot quicker than something like a Tesla battery. So yes, your battery will degrade over time, but it won't be anywhere near the level of degradation that would be experienced by your phone. In fact, all batteries have somewhere near a seven or eight year guarantee, which says, according to whichever brand you buy, they, they will guarantee a figure of 75 or 80% state of charge remains within that time. Otherwise you'll get a new battery under warranty. Now some early Nissan Leafs and even Teslas were experiencing battery degradation within that time period, and a number of them had their batteries replaced free of charge. The more modern ones are a lot more reliable. Yes, when the battery degrades, it will reduce the possible range of the vehicle. But it should be remembered that when you buy a fossil fuel vehicle, 
there is a degradation in performance, which means your gallon of petrol won't take you as far as it did when the car was new. Also, the power coming out of the engine is lower over time. It degrades in a, an internal combustion engine, but not in a, an electric vehicle. Now, the key difference is that you usually don't have a little display on the dash showing you what your expected range is with an ICE car. The second thing to understand is that the battery itself can enable what's called regen. And this is simply using the motor of the car to put power from freewheeling or braking back into the battery. Now, it, it seems a little strange when you first encounter this, but what it means is that when you take your foot off the accelerator in an electric car, two things will happen. Firstly, the car will start to slow down without you having to push the brake. Uh, secondly, the amount of energy in the battery will actually increase. Instead of using the battery to drive the car, you're using the kinetic energy from the momentum of the car to charge the battery. It does take a little time to understand and appreciate this, but ironically, it is important to understand that you'll get used to this a lot quicker than you think. Some vehicles, you can actually drive for 99% of the time without ever having to push the foot brake. The Nissan Leaf has what's known as the e-pedal, which will literally bring the car to a total stop from high speed without ever having to manually brake. It's fantastic. The third leg of the EV tripod after batteries and appearance is charging. The vast majority of the UK car owning public, 82%, have the ability to charge their vehicle off street or at home. But there are some who cannot charge at home. And this means the charging infrastructure needs to be in place to allow it to happen. At the moment, there are more chargers than petrol stations in the UK. A lot of them are what's called destination chargers. They're located in the sort of place where people can park up, plug in, and leave them there for a while as they do other things. But what people fail to understand in general is that this should be the majority of the public charging. As a car spends 90 plus percent of its time at a standstill, it makes sense that you can plug into a seven kilowatt charger while you leave it parked and stay at hotels or at work or while shopping or dining or watching a movie. These are the units you use when you've got lots of time to charge and you'll usually need to bring your own charging cable to use them. Don't worry, your car should have come with one. But for those who are doing longer distances, there also needs to be a robust, rapid or high power charging capability. If you're traveling on a journey which is longer than the distance you'll see on the GOM, that's the G-O-M, the gasometer, the display in the car that estimates the remaining number of miles you can travel on the battery, you'll need to recharge your battery en route. And usually this will be through a rapid charger. Rapid chargers are fabulous things. They usually sit in car parks, stand big and proud, and have anywhere from one to three different thick cables attached to them. And these are the units you use when you want to charge your electric vehicle really quickly. The bad news about rapid charges is that there are many different variations of them. The good news is that they all do essentially the same thing, albeit in slightly different ways. At their most basic, rapid chargers need you to do three things. Plug the cable in, show some sort of payment method, and start the charge. Plugging in and starting the charge are easy. The whole payment method thing can get complicated though, at least for now. Ideally, all chargers should have contactless payment. Use your normal bank card or Apple Pay or Google Pay, swipe and go. However, at the moment, many of them don't. So to initiate the charge, you'll need either an RFID card or a FOB or an app. We covered the details of charging in a number of episodes and they're linked in the show notes. 
Now, once you've connected, shown payment and started the charge, all you need to do is sit and wait. How long you wait will depend on a number of different factors. How big your battery is, how cold the battery is, how powerful the charger is, and how much charge you want to put into your battery. As a general rule, if you're a rapid charger, you should probably stop the charge when you get to 80%. To preserve the health of the battery, the charger will slow the charge down to such a point it will be quicker to stop charging then and move off and continue charging later in your journey. It can take as long to go from 0 to 80% as it can from 80% to 100%. My 30 kilowatt hour Kia Soul, I can go from 15% to 80% in about 18 minutes on a 150 kilowatt charger. On a 50 kilowatt charger, it's a few minutes slower. But if it's the middle of winter and my battery is cold, it can take a lot, uh, quite a bit longer than that. With a bigger battery, 50, 60, 70 kilowatt hours, if you're going from 20 to 80%, it will be slower than 20 to 80% on a smaller battery. If the charger can charge up to 350 kilowatts and your EV can accept a higher charge, you'll be on your way quicker than if you're on a 50 kilowatt charger. And I know this all sounds confusing and complex, battery sizes, percentages, kilowatts, kilowatt hours, etc. But after you've done this one or two times, you'll really get used to it and it'll become second nature. I mean, remember when you first learned to drive and you had to dip the clutch and change the gear and release the clutch and apply the throttle and get it all done in unison without stalling. It seemed almost impossible, didn't it? Now, not so much. The other thing you'll find lots of discussion about with regards to EVs is range anxiety. And it's a situation where you think you'll run out of charge before you get to the next charger. Well, I'm here to tell you that's rubbish. And it's not just me saying that. The UK's Automobile Association, the AA, have released figures saying that of all the call-outs they've had for problems with electric cars, punctures and 12-volt battery issues are the majority of them, and running out of charge accounts for only 4%. Compare that with the people who've run out of petrol or diesel, or worse, put diesel into petrol cars or vice versa, and the figure is huge. 70,000 drivers a month run out of fuel in the UK alone. Another 150,000 a year put the wrong fuel in their cars, which is something you can't do with an electric vehicle. With the vast majority of new UK electric vehicles able to cover 250 to 300 miles and more, the chances of running out of charge are very, very slim. What range anxiety is actually becoming, particularly in the UK, is charger anxiety. It's the feeling that when you get to a charger, it either won't be working or it'll already be in use by another vehicle. A lot of this is a legacy of the fact that when rapid chargers were first installed, the charge point operators only put in one at a time, or maybe two in some places. They were in pub car parks or around the back of hotels or somewhere similar. They might not have been maintained as well as they should have been, and if they were maintained, they're now constantly in use with queues as people wait to charge. After all, it's a working charger. But that's not the case everywhere. The charge point operators have realised that they need to step up the rollout of chargers across the country. As a result, there are now a lot more than there were even three years ago when I first got an EV. In fact, as of February 2022, there are now 5,380 rapid or high power chargers at 3,341 locations across the UK. What's more, the number of them that are two or more units in one location is increasing. We did two whole episodes on charging hubs and how their numbers are increasing. 
So check out the notes attached to this for links to those podcasts. So how do you find where the charges are? Well, in the words of the old advert, there's an app for that. Several, in fact. The app of choice on this podcast is ZapMap. Tell it where you are and it will show you all the charges in the area. Click on a charger and it'll tell you what sort it is. Fast, slow, rapid, ultra high power. How much it costs and whether you can pay contactless or not. It'll even allow you to navigate there using the navigation app of your choice. There are also similar apps called PlugShare and WhatsApp, which each have their own particular strengths and weaknesses when it comes to finding, identifying and navigating to chargers. If you're looking to find an app that will allow you to enter a route you want to take, Land's End to John O'Groats, for example, and let the app do all the navigating and charger locating, you can do that with ZapMap, but the app with a little more functionality in that respect is a better route planner. Both of these take the stress out of longer distance traveling. So there we are, EV101. We've looked at the main differences between internal combustion engines and electric vehicles. We've looked at regen battery management, range anxiety, finding chargers. We've talked about fast charging, rapid charging, charge curves, and the factors that will make your charge go faster or slower. All in around 18 minutes. So check out the show notes for links to other episodes where we talk about many of these items in more detail. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. We spoke last season with Matthew Thompson about his Polestar 2, where we were delighted to hear recently that Polestar has shown a new concept car which is fair to say has had many EV fans drooling over it. It's a two-door hardtop convertible roadster and it goes by the name of the O2. The look of the Polestar O2 shows how Polestar's evolving design language can be adapted to different body styles with a strong family resemblance. The low and wide body with an assertive stance, compact 2 plus 2 cabin design, minimal overhangs and a long wheelbase embody the classic sports car proportions but with a clearly modern electric feel. But behind all the posh-looking designs is one thing that jumps out at me. It has an inbuilt drone, which, thanks to a specific aerodynamic design quirk at the back, can be launched while still in motion, and which will follow you autonomously as you drive. I mean, sure, it's a silly idea, and it's only useful in such certain situations. But it sure is cool. The EV Music Podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drives in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at musingsev. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? Well, if you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings, ko-fi.com slash evmusings, and you can do just that. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So <laughs> You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. And that's always a good thing. 
If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you got to this point by tweeting me at Musing TV with the words, 101 is better than 100, right? Hashtag, if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. He was asked to rank his favourite Star Wars movies in order. Naturally, he chose The Empire Strikes Back as the best. I mean, why wouldn't he? But when it came to some of the other ones, the choice wasn't that clear. I suggested to him that the prequels are probably just as good as the sequels. I don't think he bought that though, saying, I'm here to tell you that's rubbish. And it's not just me saying that. Many thanks for listening. Bye-bye.